Hello, everybody, and thank you for tuning in to Shy Sox Weekly. This is episode number 30. I am joined with Johnny Nani. John Suarez was unable to make it tonight. This is kind of a short-notice podcast. Obviously, today was not a good day for White Sox fans. Um, not a good day for myself. Johnny, probably not a good day for you either. I, I'm afraid to ask you how you're doing. Uh, not holding up too well, Tony. Uh, I you know, usually like to use the empty platitudes, the, uh, oh, yeah, everything's good, dandy, fine. No, it's not really, though. I, I'm not really doing too well. Uh, it's going to be hard because I don't still really don't have words to kind of describe my feelings. That's kind of why you saw me uh, using a lot of GIFs and videos on Twitter.com today. Yeah, I I can't even sit there and tell anybody that, you know, things are going well. I can't sit here and say at the present moment that things are good. Um, like you said, those, those pleasantries are just not for today. There's really no, no way to kind of describe the feelings that you have. Um, words are, words are hard. Like you said, um, you know, I just, I, I can't even, I can't even really describe what this feels like because we, we really haven't been there. I think one of the, one of the most comparable moments might be when the Sox were rumored around, uh, Cespedes, um, a few years back during the off season and, and they failed to convert there. Um, today guys, we failed to convert on a franchise changing free agent, and what ensued afterwards was more or less almost to me more demoralizing than than actually failing to convert on the on the free agent we're going to get into that um in a little bit of depth here but um the the, the specifics here guys uh Manny Machado signed a 10-year 300 million dollar deal with the San Diego Padres who Earlier in this offseason, yeah, there's the there's the beer crack crack of Nani. Um, could not even be rumored to be interested in Manny Machado. Um, they gave him an opt-out after the fifth year. The White Sox offered him an eight-year, $250 million deal with a vesting option for the seventh and eighth years. Um, and, and those came with a 550 at-bat in the previous season uh, uh, I don't even know what the word is here for it, but th- those were the requirements in order for it to vest with the ability for him to make up to $350 million. Uh, what we saw today was Kenny Williams and Rick Hahn just absolutely get fleeced by Lozano and the Machado camp uh, when it came to um, you know the, the negotiating table. Um, they just didn't bring what, what they needed. And you know, I said it on Twitter. I'm, I'm going to give my first little rant here on this. Was why they thought that not guaranteeing Manny Machado 300 million dollars was going to be sufficient, um, Johnny. The, the, that was the asking price for the top talent this off season in Bryce Harper and Manny Machado, and you didn't even come close to that in guaranteed money. 50 million dollars is a lot. $50 million is a pretty significant gap when it comes to talking about guaranteed money on a contract. Um, I know there's some year differences there. There's some AAV differences. The Sox would have been a little bit higher, but $300 million was that golden number, and that's all it would have took for the White Sox organization to be talking today about 
one of the best players that could have been in fan- franchise history, one of the top free agent signings that we could have had. Uh, and, and we don't have him here. And we're sitting on the outside looking in. Um, Johnny, uh, I, I got to hand the mic over to you because I, I need to take a few few sips of my beer here because I'm, I'm, I'm losing it. Yeah, so you could mention the specifics there, the uh, $300 million guaranteed. That when you go back and think about the beginning of this offseason, we knew this was going to be huge, these two guys, Manny Machado, Bryce Harper, Everyone knew these guys were going to be gunning for record deals. And Manny Machado, when he signed today, it was a record deal. And you know what? Bryce Harper will probably break it in the coming weeks because I'm assuming he'll get more. So they knew that it was going to be this high. They knew it was going to be I, – like, I, I just can't wrap my mind around how they can not fully understand that these guys, the age that they are right now, the level of talent that each of them have – the level of production that they have brought in the past and their prime years are still right in front of them. How can you not convert on that? And at least, you know, what, what was the point of the meeting then? You know, Machado did his little tour, went and saw uh, the White Sox, the Phillies, you know, the Yankees did that whole tour. Didn't meet till the, with the Padres till later they came in and, uh, you know, snatched him up. But when he does this, how do you not sit down there and really hammer away at it? Like, what is it going to take? That, that was w- one of my things. What, like, you get down to the bottom of it. What's it going to take? And then even if, obviously, he's still going to explore his options, which, of course, he should. But he's going to explore his options, so you just keep tabs on it. Keep tabs on the other offers that are going out. I don't know how secret the information is, but still, you got to have, a, like, a, you know, your finger on the pulse there and realize what these other teams are willing to offer. And what, what kind of gets me about this is, you know, sure, it's disappointing the fact in, in of itself that we didn't get him, but all of the um, hysteria that ensued after as a result of both Kenny Williams and Rick Hahn um, addressing the media. I know we've got some bullet points here in our uh, topic sheet that we're going to get to in specific, but it, it, it was really not handled PR well uh you know, afterward, it, it it was a mess. It was a mess on Twitter. It was a mess for the fans. Um, I would say it's a mess from the White Sox organization. The White Sox Twitter has been uh, quite usually day, what, two of uh, full squad workouts. They'd be posting videos like, you know, they did that throughout the day yesterday. Oh, Yoan's back, Abreu's back, such and such and whatever. Everyone's excited to see that. Then today, you know, they go dormant. That was probably the smartest, uh, you know, move of anyone. The whoever runs the social media there to just stay the hell quiet. Whereas Kenny Williams had to go and talk ten minutes after these reports came out. So um, there's my little rant, opening rant, I guess you will. We're gonna have plenty more to come here, but uh, uh, you want to dive, try and dive into these Kenny Williams comments? Have you uh, lubricated enough over there, Tony? Yeah. So. Um... The, the Kenny Williams comments are, are really my starting point into what a mess this actually was. Um, and like you said, you brought up that, that Kenny started speaking almost immediately after some of these rumors were reported on Twitter. Um, nothing was even official at this point in time before Kenny started opening his mouth. Um, the appropriate response from Kenny Williams at this point in time when, when questioned about any of this, uh, and you have to wonder if they already knew because the way that Kenny was speaking, even though he, he almost tried to provide that, that shock value, um, was pretty hard set on the fact that they had already lost him. 
Now, I want to actually take a little bit of a step back, just a little bit of a step back and go back to yesterday. Um, the reports out of spring training, Johnny, were that Yon Moncada was being moved over to third base. And what did we hear come out of the athletic and James Fagan was this does not take them out of the Machado running. Now, there was a reported meeting between the White Sox and the Machado camp last night where I know, I, I believe it was Bruce Levine and, and even I think Bob Nightingale had reported that the Sox had upped their offer. Now, I don't see any upped offer from the White Sox because you've gotten these reports from Hector Gomez all offseason that the stocks had offered around 250 million with the opportunity to go more and the opportunity to go more is obviously these vesting options so I'm calling a little bit of bullshit on the fact that the White Sox had offered more up to their offer um now you see some of these reports come out and uh that that they had this meeting and that they felt really really good going into today um and that's what Kenny said you know he he's got his sunglasses on so that you can't see the shock in his eyes and all this this facade that he wants to put up why are you moving Yon Moncada over to third base on the first day of spring training when you obviously if you were going to have Manny Machado playing he would be playing either shortstop or third base for this this ball club um, it just doesn't make any sense at all why that was that was done yesterday, um, at least for the for the fans' sake. Um, do that tomorrow or today, the day that the, the, this podcast is going to drop, um, as a reactionary move instead of doing it beforehand, because you're starting to send off these smoke signals um, that that people can read into. Um, if, if you follow this team close enough, you can, you can kind of gather the sense of what's going on. Now, the real kicker here, Johnny, and correct me if I'm wrong, is when Kenny Williams comes out and says that $300 million is something that they could not match. This is, this is where this whole thing starts to just begin to, to, to fall apart in my opinion. $300 million, yep. like we said, was the asking price from the get-go. That's where they were in the beginning. The White Sox organization thought that they were going to be able to slide in here and get Manny Machado on a discount. And the reason I say that is they go out and they get John Jay. They go out and they get Yonder Alonso, and they think that for some reason, that's enough to sway Manny Machado in a, in a, what was a dead market up until probably this week, enough to get him to consider coming to Chicago because this obviously was not his first choice. If you remove Yonder Alonso and John Jay from here and you put these offers on the table, the Sox are not even in the ballpark. Now, we get Kenny Williams saying we were not going to go to $300 million. Then you get these reports that come out and say, well, with vesting options, we're going to go over $300 million. What's the difference financially for the White Sox if they weren't going to, or if, if, if they have these vesting options? Why not give Manny Machado $300 million guaranteed and then have $50 million in vesting options? What's the difference? Why do you not circle back, like you said, and keep tabs on this to the point where you can say, okay, well, we're willing to guarantee that extra 
$50 million to get to the same point that the Padres are. I think that's inexcusable. That's absolute inexcusable move from the White Sox front office when it comes to ne- negotiating with top-tier free agents. It's it. There's no excuse for that. There's no excuse unless you have no intention of paying it. And that's where I want to get into the fact that these options were based on at-bats. And that's something that the team can control by playing Manny Machado in those late late years of the contract. Because all it takes is benching him a few games and he loses out on that money. So if you didn't intend on paying him that full value of that contract, then you only intended on paying him $250 million. And correct me if I'm wrong there, Johnny. That's what it reeks of. No, you're right. And I think that's why we are all up in arms and saying this is inexcusable because it is. Uh, the, the terms of that deal, all these, uh, you know, the fancy construction of the contract, I know there is a lot that goes into this. I know that. I, I'm no expert on, you know, negotiating this. Obviously, these agents are good at what they do. But from a front office standpoint, you got to realize it, it all just comes back to that beginning number, that beginning number that you had mentioned of $300 million, And that's what we all thought it would take. And we were thinking Bryce is going to he's going to blow it out the water. He's going to get like, you know, like what, three, like 50, like guaranteed. I mean, that may be a little high on that. But, you know, when you're talking about I already mentioned it, the talent and the age uh, that these guys are, it's uh they're worth it, and it it really, really would have been uh, a tipping point, uh, an accelerator, uh, whatever you want to call it, a catalyst for this rebuild here, um, if you're able to do that. And then, you know, you, you get the quotes all – the whole build up to it is, is kind of more what's, uh, you know, kind of getting at us here too. I mean, obviously the the – technicalities of it we could go into these numbers all day and compare the offers and all that but the buildup of it of Rakan saying oh yes we're you know that when the time comes to spend we'll spend well you know what the time was now the time was now to uh do this what the free agent market is not going to be as pretty as it was this offseason that's no that's where i stand on it no the free agent picture that you had this offseason was strikingly different than what you're going to get next year and and the years after that and for multiple reasons number one what we saw this offseason was Manny Machado and still currently Bryce Harper wait into spring training for the right dollar amount to show up people want to talk about how these owners aren't going to pay guess what the San Diego Padres fucking paid They paid what the asking price was for Manny Machado. You can't walk into a car dealership and look at a $30,000 car, walk up to the salesman and say, I'm going to give you $15,000 for this. He's going to laugh you off the lot. What the White Sox essentially did was walk into a car dealership, tell the salesman, we're going to pay you $15,000 for this used car. Salesman looked at him and said, no. But it was the only offer on the car. For weeks, for months, went on and on. The White Sox continued to walk into the car dealership every single day and make the same offer. Then at the end, another buyer walks into the car dealership, looks at the car, looks at the price tag, and offers maybe slightly lower. 
say $29,000, $27,000 for the $30,000 car. The salesman looks at him and goes, we have a deal. Now the Sox are sitting there saying, wait, I thought we were talking. I thought we were sitting at the table. And here we go back with the sitting at the table thing. It's okay to inquire on a player like Manny Machado and make an offer for him. But it's another thing to sit there and say that you're going to spend for the premium talent that you want and then come up short this way. I think the thing that bothers me the absolute most about this whole entire thing is the fact that you're now stuck with Yonder Alonso and John Jay. And I want to get this little piece of it out of the way. What purposes do either of these guys serve on this roster? John Jay less so than than Yonder Alonso because – We've got Jay here on on the one-year deal, and I kind of expected the outfield to be rotating spots as it is anyway. But when you look at that outfield right now, and we'll, we'll just dig into this real quick, you've got Nicky Delmonico, Eloy Jimenez, Adam Engel, Lure Garcia, uh, John Jay. You've got Brandon Geyer, who you've now signed. Um, who else we got in there, Johnny? We've got a few other options oh, e- in there. Eloy, if you didn't say him. I think I mentioned him second, but he, I mean, Daniel Palka, he's another one. You've got all these guys vying for at-bats. How many outfielders do you want to bring in into this, into the, into the fold here? How many outfielders do you want to bring on to this team to have them compete for at-bats when you, all we've talked about all last year was how much depth we have in the minor leagues and guys that are going to be outfield studs, you know, like why, why are we? continuing to add outfielders to the fold here depth is great but mediocre depth is not great it's a problem especially on a rebuilding team you can't have 10 guys vying for three outfield spots and have half of them on contract that are on on the ends of the ropes here and the other half of them be guys who are mediocre i mean we're not even talking about like you know like the what we saw last year with like the ryan cordell's of the world some of these guys who you just want to kind of see what what they have and maybe they pan out the outfield's a mess outside of eloy jimenez the outfield's a mess then we go and we add yonder alonzo who essentially is almost a lesser version of a jose abreu who's going to eat up the DH spot from guys like, again, Daniel Palka, who deserve a chance to get 500-plus plate appearances this year. Why on God's green earth do we need to roll Yonder Alonso out every, almost every game this year? There's no reason for it. Sox fans are not going to want to sit through a whole season of watching Yonder Alonso, the brother-in-law of Manny Machado, eat up plate appearances from who was basically – one of their sole heroes last year in Daniel Palka. I mean, do we really want to see Daniel Palka on the bench while we watch Yonder Alonso play? I mean, that's that's going to be one of those things like, you know, still having remnants from your ex laying around in your house. I mean, that's that's just it's not it's not pleasant. It doesn't serve a good purpose here. And I put that on Rickon. If you really didn't have the confidence that you were going to land Manny Machado, you shouldn't have made some of these moves. 
Yeah. So, you know, I always thought that, you know, as he's getting creative, he's doing what he can to make it a more attractive destination with those acquisitions. And if you land them, then yeah, sure. It's great. Uh, you figure out what to do with them. Um, st- the reality of it is when you're talking about the nitty gritty of those outfield spots and those, uh, you know, DH days, it's really going to be tough to manage. Um, I I don't envy Rick Renneria in that situation. Um, I mean, it sucks because you can't really bench Alonzo all that much. He's already, you know, he's decent. He's not a bad baseball player. He's decent, so they're going to trot him out there. But like you said, you would probably rather see those at-bats, repetitions, go to Daniel Palka. Um and then the outfield, uh, yeah, a, a mess is, I think, an understatement. Um, I'm honestly, I don't want to sound like, a, you know, I have it out for one guy, but if there's one guy that can get thrown out of that mix, that kind of makes things easier. It's Nicky Delmonico. That way he's not taking up any DH, any, uh, you know, any, anything like that. Um, I Like, that's the only way that I think that clears things and that doesn't even like clear it up completely obviously you still got to figure out where they're going to play is john jay a center fielder doubtful um you know so he's in right but then what do you do with polka if Eloy is going to be playing left um you still have adam angle there uh there's lurie garcia although he is a utility man um i mean it, it's a it, it, a mess is uh, i think an understatement um i'd say it's a sopping wet um you know sewage spill in the outfield uh i mean it that's uh, i was trying to think of a better term to describe it but it do you like how, how do you mop that up how do you it, 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 like i said nikki delmonico gone but then you know there's going to be the advocates that they love nikki and oh they still think he has the power they think he can do what he did in this first you know 2017 year and he was injury ridden last year so it's like they're probably still going to run him out there and get him some reps uh, to see if it's if that 2017 Nicky Delmonico is going to show up. Um, and I I highly doubt that. So, yeah, th- this kind of leaves us with a mess here with those guys that we had signed trying to entice Machado, Machado uh, tying back into that uh, topic that, you know, got us rolling here. Here is the most disappointing part to all of this. The most absolute disappointing part to all of this. And and here comes the rant because I, I can't hold it back any longer. The AL Central is a goddamn mess right now. The AL Central is there for the taking. You have the number three, argue, top three prospect in Eloy Jimenez about to come up. You've got Jose Abreu, who is a above-average first baseman in the AL Central. You've got a pretty damn good bullpen for right now for what it's worth. You've got a top-tier farm system that's going to feed this team, hopefully, throughout the next five years. Barring injuries. Barring injuries. We'll we'll get on that. We'll get on that in a minute. You've set yourself up for this, and Rick Hahn is not an idiot. We know he's not an idiot for for all intents and purposes. He he started this rebuild the right way. And he was given pretty much a very easy way to start the rebuild. 
Did he trade for all the right guys? Maybe, maybe not. That's for another podcast to debate. But you set yourself up for this offseason. They've even said it themselves that they were targeting this offseason and potentially next offseason as uh, you know your targets to spend. You look at this team's payroll. You look at this the landscape of the AL Central. And 2019 could have been a playoff year for this team. 2019 could have been the start of something special. And not to say that it's not going to be, but you've now diminished your chances of that happening. You've diminished your chances for making the playoffs for the first time in 10 years. You've diminished the chances of your team making the playoffs next year, the year after that, and the year after that. And on top of that, you also today, with the misconstrued comments of Kenny Williams and Rick Hahn, who came out and said, well, we will spend, you know, we don't have a hard cap on anything. That, that was the Rick Hahn comment. From Kenny Williams to Rick Hahn to Rick Renteria today, all three of these guys looked like they were on complete separate pages. The front office looked like they don't even talk to each other. And that's looked even messier than the outfield. They looked messier than that outfield that they have right now. And maybe the reason they have a messy outfield is because they don't communicate with each other. If Kenny Williams still has his hand in the pot when all this free agent talk and, and trades are being made and he's the one really calling the shots, well then guess what? Put Kenny Williams back in the GM role so we can f- fire at him instead of Rick Hahn. If it's Rick Hahn who's making the moves, he's the one who deserves the the, the credit, but he also deserves all the criticism. This front office doesn't know its head from its ass right now. There's obvious miscommunication going on because Kenny Williams doesn't come talk to the media and say the stuff that he does if that's not what he is a firm believer of. You know, in the workplace, it looks really bad when somebody says something and their boss says something else. That's a really big red flag that's held up right there. I mean, it's waving. This this flag is the size of the fucking Sears Tower. You know? Like, hey, something's wrong here. And I don't think that got enough focus today at the fact that these guys are not on the same page. When you have the president of baseball operations saying you couldn't match $300 million, that that doesn't scream to me that you're going to come sign Bryce Harper next. That doesn't scream to me that you're going to be in on Nolan Arenado next year or Chris Sale or any of these other top-tier free agents, especially when the guy who works for the guy says that you know we don't have a hard spending limit, but yet his boss says that they do. That doesn't fly. That doesn't look good. One of the things that, that really strikes here, when you look at the offers that the Padres gave versus the offers that the White Sox gave, The Sox tried to get creative in landing Manny Machado. The Padres didn't get creative. They gave him exactly what he wanted. If the Sox weren't going to give Manny Machado exactly what he wanted, why do you think that they're going to go give Bryce Harper exactly what he wants? Or Nolan Arenado what he wants? Or Chris Sale when he's a free agent what he wants? Or any of these other guys? They had plenty of opportunity this offseason to go sign other free agents. They had plenty of opportunity to go after a guy like DJ LeMahieu. If you were going to move Yon Moncada over to third base and leave second base open, you had the chance to go sign a guy. I'm sick and tired of hearing about how Nick Madrigal is going to be the answer there. 
Yomer Sanchez shouldn't be keeping spots warm for, for Nick Madrigal. This AL Central right now, wrapping this back to what I was saying before, this AL Central right now is theirs for the taking. And they completely punted on it. And the thing that's really bothersome is you look at what the Phillies have done, you look at what the Padres have done, you look at what some of these other organizations around Major League Baseball have done, they've set themselves up for the 2020 seasons. They've set themselves up for success. What have the Sox done besides gather a bunch of prospects to set themselves up for success? There's been nothing that they've done. There's been nothing that they've done to show that they want to be a playoff team to this point. Making an offer to Manny Machado and not converting on it at the end of the day is a loss. Because your team has not improved. Your team hasn't improved. You've done nothing to show that you want to be competitive next year. Or this year for that matter. When... Mm -hmm you have literally the chance to make the playoffs this year. And that's what they need to be doing. You talk about taking steps forward in the rebuild, Rick. You talk about taking the things to the next level. But so far, there's been zero that has been done to get there. And that's what's starting to get concerning because, yes, Yon Mankata can take a step forward this year. Yes, you could see Lucas Giolito or Carson Fulmer turn it around. But those aren't the guys that are going to get this done. Those aren't the guys that are going to lead you into the playoffs. Look at all these other rebuilding teams. They've made additions to get to where they need to be. This seat at the table for premium talent stuff, and I know every other White Sox blog, every other person on Twitter is going to say the same thing doesn't cut it and if you're a Rick Hahn apologist right now saying it's or, or or somebody who's a Jerry apologist which is even worse at this point in time saying that it's better that they didn't sign Manny Machado you're missing the big picture here and that big picture is the fact that they have not done anything outside of tear down a more talented core than they have right now to rebuild and then done nothing with it just like they did with the last core no supplements at all And here's a term that I like to use a lot. I call it the X factor. Where is your X factor? You you have not seen it from any of these prospects. It's not like Yohan Mankata was an immediate sensation. Um, You know, Michael Kopech's injured. Um, Even with him, it's a starting pitcher. Uh, you got to have someone that's in the lineup every day that can be that X factor. And you know who that would have been? Manny Machado. Um, it's, it really just comes down to that. You need someone who is proven. They have the talent. Um, they have that swagger, whatever you want to call it, uh, beyond the actual statistics of the game that can take your team to the next level. So you get a Manny Machado type, there's your X factor because that elevates the play of every single person around him. That elevates the fan base. That gets more butts and seats. That gets more money driving into the organization. It's an X factor that makes things happen in the future. Even if they weren't going to be a playoff team this year with Manny Machado, so, you know, they'd definitely be more competitive. There's no doubt about that just for the type of war that he has. Um, but even if he's not, that's a start of something. That Doesn't that help af- attract future free agents? Oh, they got the superstar. I kind of want to go play with him. It, it, it There's many, many layers to this of why, you know, anyone who says, oh, he had a bad attitude. I don't want him on our team because of that. Um, 
you know, I, I you, go like take you a said, hike at that you, point you, in time. Go yeah, take a, and, go and, take and, a hike. And, and you, you said, you know, I want, I'm stumbling over my words here, but you said, you said it best. I really can't phrase it any other way. They're missing the big picture. The big picture is winning, Johnny. The big picture is to win. And if you don't think that Manny Machado gives you a better chance to win, then then you're missing the big picture. And if if you if you go into this offseason and you have Yonder Alonso making phone calls promising surprises, not promising, but saying there could be surprises, you know exactly what he's talking about. It's Manny Machado. I want to go back a little bit to the beginning of this offseason when more of the rumors centered around Bryce Harper and quickly all of a sudden just turned to Manny Machado. You've done a lot of harm today, especially for your future negotiations with any free agents. There is irreparable damage to this franchise that was done today when Kenny Williams opened his mouth. Saying that you could not get to the $300 million and then have Ken Rosenthal come out with his, well, the offer said that they could have gone to 350 What are you talking about? What are you talking about? Because you obviously knew, like I said earlier, you obviously knew that you were going to try and play games with Manny Machado in the last years of his contract. We've seen them already try and play games with Eloy Jimenez. When those offers are laid out by Manny Machado's agent, here's the Padres, 10 years, $300 million, exactly what we asked for going into the offseason, Manny. Here's the offer from the White Sox, 250 with some vesting. You play the role of Manny Machado here, Johnny. I'm Dan. So we've got the White Sox organization. They they really want you. You've got your brother-in-law there. We've got one of your good friends there from Miami, John Jay. They're offering you the chance to make $350 million. It's a little bit higher AAV. It's only eight years. You're getting a little bit less guaranteed. Um, let's look at what they've done in the past year. Let's look at their track record versus the San Diego Padres. Uh, the Padres look like they've got uh, some guaranteed money here for you. And uh, the White Sox currently, um, the farm system is you know maybe slightly less uh, talented than what the Padres are offering. Um, so uh, the Padres check off a little better when it comes to uh, long-term competitiveness. Uh, the Sox players have have shown some injury concerns, and also um, just just so that you're aware, um, they didn't call up Eloy last year because they're trying to gain an extra year of control out of him. Uh, it raises a little bit of concerns about those last years that you have on your contract here. Uh, I wouldn't put it out of uh, out of the realm of possibility that they may uh, try and play some games with you so that they don't have to pay you that extra $100 million. Uh, I'm going to advise you to go ahead and take that offer from San Diego because uh, you're getting the guaranteed money. You're setting your family up for, for you know generational wealth. Um you know, you're you're going to see that extra fifty million dollars guaranteed. You're not going to have to uh, you're not going to have to even stay healthy. You know, if if something were to happen to you, this is going to set your family up better in the long run. Um, what do you what do you have to say to that? 
Padres. Done. 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 I would I would be willing to bet that's exactly how that conversation went down. And the fact of the matter is, the White Sox were not in a position to offer him anything like that because of that exact reason. You now look at this track record that the White Sox have set for themselves. Eloy Jimenez, number one. Manny Machado, number two, trying to trying to play games at the end of that contract with him. What top-tier talent free agent's going to want to come here unless you literally say, no opt-outs in the, or you get an opt-out in the deal now, and we're going to give you guaranteed money. You know, I didn't I didn't even get into the opt-out in that. The Padres gave him an opt-out at five years. And the Sox came out and said, we don't believe in opt-outs. How was the Sox offer that Rick Hahn sat there today said that they felt that it was better in some ways for Manny Machado? I don't see anywhere in that offer that's better for Manny Machado than what the uh, the Padres offered him. I don't see anywhere in that offer that's better for Manny Machado outside of the fact that he gets to play with his brother-in-law. And that's not even part of the goddamn contract. I agree with you, and it, it is just so ridiculous that how can you not take into consideration? I think a big, big factor here is, you know, we're talking about, like, you know, these guys, like, oh, yeah, sure, there's superstars are going to make uh, this money. Like, anyway, it's like, no, okay, well, baseball is a physical sport. Let's get down to the literally bare bones of this. Anyone can understand it. If you're in a profession that is going to put you in a possible injury situation, you want to be guaranteed that money. It is literally does not take any sort of like in-depth analysis or uh, studying of the negotiations that go on in sports business to understand that simple concept. When when you stack those up side by side, I don't need to rehash the numbers. You just put it out there perfectly. When you stack those up side by side, of course you're going to take the guaranteed money. When you're, you know, 30, what, what would he be at the end of that? Uh, 35, 36 in those yep. last two, I believe. When you're at the end of those, are you really going to be completely healthy? Look at look at the guys that we've seen that aren't even at that age yet. Um I mean, I know he's not slowing down that much, but like a Mike Moustakis who was asking for like a big deal, he wasn't getting it because guys weren't seeing his potential three, four years down the road when he wanted seven, eight, whatever it was that Forrest was asking. He right. wasn't getting it because they know, the organizations know that, you know, these guys aren't going to be there. So when the player has the option to have that guaranteed, of course he's going to take it. It, 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 why are you the, correct? The, me, correct the, me if I'm oversimplifying it, but it does. It, does that not make just sense? No, just, it makes sense. It makes sense. It makes sense to me. The fact that they seemed so surprised, just the it makes them look even more naive than they. I gotta breathe. I gotta breathe, Johnny. It's important, folks, remember to breathe during this process. How can you how can you expect the fans to believe you that you thought that you had the better offer on the table because you offered him the chance to make a little bit more money on the back end of a contract that you you yourselves as the organization 
are in complete control over. I mean, we we see this in in every different major sports organization, whether it be in football, baseball, hockey, whatever whatever you have it. What player in their right mind wants to put their financial earnings in the hands of the front office of any organization? It's a bad deal for the player. At bats, at bats are e- are easily controlled by the front office. That's as simple as calling down to the manager and saying, "Guess who's not playing today?" Man, he's not playing today. He thinks he's going to earn this extra fifty million dollars this year. Fuck him. Sit him on the bench today. Because the fact of the matter is, in year seven, eight of that deal. The Sox don't know how competitive they're going to be. The Sox have no clue how competitive they're going to be seven years from now. This deal was not about year seven and eight. It may have been about year five and six, but it was not about year seven and eight. Guess what? For the Padres, it's not about years nine and ten. It's about winning a championship in 2021. As soon as possible. As soon as possible. Flags fly forever. If you were able to sign Manny Machado and get yourself a World Series win in 2020, 2021, 2022, do you really care what Manny Machado's doing in year six or seven of that deal? Probably, because you're pissed off now. But guess what? This is sports. This is this is about winning. This is about getting your team a championship. This is what the Sox organization has promised when they went on this whole rebuild Sustained success. Yeah, sustained success. Do you think that Cubs fans right now really care about what's going on because they had their their win? Do you think they really care? I mean, they still care, but they they're happy they got their win. They ha- they're happy they got their win. Let's let's take this back to the Blackhawks, Johnny. Would you trade your three Stanley Cups for arguing about the? horrible contract that Brent Seabrook has right now? Hell no. No. I mean that one just hits close to home, but it's the same it's the same type of situation here. There's many proponents on White Sox Twitter. Uh Pete Hand is one of them. The Sox knew that they were going to have to overpay to go get one of these guys. The Sox knew that they were going to have to make this deal very lucrative for a top tier free agent to want to come here people want to act like what the Sox are doing is completely special that they tore down the team and they've got these all these top prospects Yon Madkata, Eloy Jimenez, Michael Kopech all these guys they want to act like this is something that's completely special and new the Padres are doing the exact same fucking thing they're doing the exact same thing. And guess they're what? They're doing a little bit better than us. They're doing it a little bit better than us. And that's the problem is that we're going to have to go and compete against these teams if we want to win a World Series. We're going to have to go and compete against the Philadelphia Phillies who may or may not sign Bryce Harper to a lineup that's far superior to what the White Sox are putting out on the field right now. We're going to have to compete against the New York Yankees, the Boston Red Sox, the Houston Astros. We're going to have to go and compete against those guys. 
So for all the people who think that not signing Manny Machado is a big win for the White Sox, tell me that the White Sox lineup in two years is going to stack up better than any of those lineups. And then think about what it's like to not have signed Manny Machado. Because I damn well know that having him in the lineup would be better for the White Sox organization than it would to not have him in there. Because having this team roll on all of its prospects and banking on all of them hitting is not going to be the ticket that punches you into the playoffs or the World Series for that matter. It never, it, it never, never, ever, ever is or will be the full ticket, like you had said. The prospects, if you hit on a majority of them, great but you cannot absolutely account for it. You you can't say these guys are guarantees. Like that's what kind of you had mentioned the name earlier and I, I was going to jump in, but you, you were on a roll. So I let you go. But the Nick Madrigal hype, can we slow down on that? If you're thinking, Oh, this infield will be sustainable very soon because Nick Madrigal is on the way. He's going to, he's got a chance to be called up this year. This guy has hit high a that's it. Um, I, I know he was, you know, college guy and then went to uh, the, you know, the Arizona League and then shot his way up through those first three levels of it really quick. But that I don't think that's sustainable. Um, the power is not there for as fast as he is. He doesn't steal bases. Um, I I just don't I, I don't see that like as an immediate reinforcement. And even even if he was, even if he was the stud guy that's going to be like, you know, rushing through the system, why would you just bank on that? Why would you not acquire the best talent available? It's like it like what is the mindset there of, oh, well, these guys are in the pipeline, so it's fine. We can just wait two years and then it's there. It's like, no, you. It, all right. So if these guys are that good and they're, you know, like coming up and whatever, forcing the issue, as you say, but you still have like a superstar in that infield that's taken up a spot, say Machado's at third and then Mikata's still playing second his natural position, then you trade that guy. You trade that guy for as max value as you can and get another piece that'll help you win now. Exactly. That, you look that's at what the formula to success. That's you, the formula to winning now. You go and look at what the, the what I'll the Cubs have done. Go look at what I, the Cubs I, have done. They traded Glabar Torres. Yeah. Yeah. For Araldis Chapman. And you go I, I love the I love the prospect pool, but that's also a, a means of leverage where you can trade you can trade from your strength then. You have talent in your farm system. The Cubs basically depleted their farm system, but I don't know if they would give that up for, you know, oh no, we we still had Glaber Torres, so we didn't win the World Series because we had a most dominant closer in the league that year, you know? Like, they traded Eloy Jimenez for Jose Quintana. I mean, I come back okay, that, to this. Like that one that one, that one may be a little bit of a win on our side there. But, it's a win know, on I, our I, side, I, but, yeah, but the, 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 the principle, the principle, yes. The principle of it is, is the reason they made that deal was to go and try and win another championship. And as, as of right now, I don't even see the Sox remotely close to trying to move somebody that they may regret to go get another championship. Yeah, no, yes, Rick Hahn was burned on the Tatis deal, but... I mean, we're so far removed from that, and I wonder if if that deal comes back to haunt us in another way. I wonder if Rick Hahn will even pull the trigger to go make this team better because he doesn't want to get burned in the same way that he got burned on the Tatis deal. That's a good point to bring up. That move could have ramifications further down the road. I'm more worried about that than giving up Fernando Tatis in the first place because 
you take that now now Rick Hahn has has a track record of feeling that remorse. The guy sat there and said that he's a jackass for making that trade. I know Sox fans want to go rip on that trade all the time, but do you really want your GM if we're in a playoff push in two years from now? Do we really want Rick Hahn going back and going, hmm, I made this trade a few years back and it was really bad, so I'm not going to take the chance to move Blake Rutherford for somebody. I'm going to tell you this right now. That's not the mindset that I want Rick Hahn in. I want him taking chances to go get those finishing pieces. That's a great point you bring up, and it, it is, you know what, I really had not considered it to that extent uh, too much because I generally like to avoid the Tatis thing because that was, you know, when he was so young, and, and it, I just don't think there was enough, uh, you know, to know, you didn't know as much about him as obviously you do now since he's been shooting up through the system uh, with the Padres and just tearing it up. But that that really does leave ramifications not just for the team itself, but for the GM in his mind. It literally just his decision making process. It it, it, uh, it we're getting the thinker mode out in uh, Shy Sox Weekly this week. Uh, I, I there's a lot to think about. There's a lot to consider. But you know that that is one thing that it, it's a matter of being elite. Is your you know there's there's the joke about oh is Joe Flacco an elite quarterback like that's like a you know like a running joke among Twitter and what have you, but is this front office elite? Do they have what it takes to make this team elite? No, if you look not at right the track now. record, not right there, now, there is, no, there is track zero record, tracker, no track record. Yeah, it, and it, it, it's scary. It, that that should scare some people. Um, I mean this this move itself doesn't. It, it, the the physical, you know, obviously you would love to have like the physical, you know, ability of Machado on the field right now. Sure, of course, that would be great and, you know, controlled for the next, you know, at least five years, say if we would have given something like the Padres gave. That would be great in itself. But it, there's a lot of symbolic things that go into this, especially with this front office disconnect. Uh, that happened afterward, um, the track record that you bring up. Uh, the, you can go back to that Eloy not calling him up last year. Um, I I don't know. We obviously weren't sitting in those. We weren't a fly on the wall in those discussions between Machado's camp and the White Sox front office or any other front office that they talked to. But you know damn well they probably brought up every aspect of everything when they were comparing you know moves, whether it was just whether it was between – uh, the White Sox and Machado's camp, or just within Machado's camp itself, his agents, you know, feeding him every little bit of information that he can. I mean, ultimately, they have to make the best decision for their client because the more money that their client makes, the more money they're going to make. So, of course, they're going to advise him on every single aspect of it. Yeah, I mean, this. I mean, this just we keep circling here on on some of these same topics. And and that's it's troubling right now. It's it's very troubling. I think that's the best word for this. That you really look if you if you really take a step back from some of the shiny things that we've seen. And there haven't really even been that many shiny things. Yon Mancata coming up was great for a little while, and then the guy goes and strikes out two hundred plus times. That's not good. You bring up Michael Kopech as kind of a 
good faith effort to the White Sox fans and what happens. He goes, blows his arm out, needs Tommy John. Now he's out all year. You hold Eloy back from, from coming up, even when he goes and writes a, a, a an article in the Players' Tribune about how ready he is. And then you come up with this excuse that his defense isn't up to par. And he needs to work on that. And then you get the, 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 the storm about how his camp might file a grievance against you. You look at Lucas Giolito, another top prospect who, to this date, hasn't panned out. You look at Carson Fulmer, your top draft pick in a year where you could have went with a few other guys who are now making Ian impacts. Hap. Ian Happ went right behind him. Imagine that. Walker Bueller. Or Bueller went even later. Even later in that draft. another name. Another Vanderbilt guy. Um, You look at some of these missed opportunities. And dare I say Jake Berger, for that matter. Another number one pick who suffered an injury. These are all things that aren't really the White Sox fault, per se. But you have to look at this organization right now and say, really, nothing has panned out the way that you want it to. There is not a warm and fuzzy feeling around the White Sox right now. What are you grasping hope on right now as a White Sox fan? Because all offseason you were sold on the fact that this is a free agent class that you can go after. To this date, they failed to convert on that as well. I'm not saying that the rebuild isn't going to pan out. I'm not saying that the Sox aren't going to make the playoffs because of this rebuild over the next three, four years. What I'm saying right now is that nothing has panned out the way that you want it to at this point. And there is no reason for anybody to believe that it's going to. Sorry to be all downer, but there is no indication that anything is pointing up. Take it a little bit farther in the metaphor you changed your goddamn field name to guaranteed rate with an arrow pointing down. There is no arrows pointing up in this organization at this moment. Nothing. You can look at... I was just going to cut in and say, you know what they're going to do now? They're going to go and hype the shit out of Eloy Jimenez. That's what they're going to do. That's all it's going to be leading up to it. And you know what? They're not even going to be able to do it for opening day because they're they're going to leave him down for the three weeks. And you know what, at this point yeah, they've already done it. They've already made that decision last year. Um, I was all about bringing him up in August, uh, mid August of last year, even earlier than that shit. End of July. Um, I was ready for him. I, I thought he was ready, but they've already done that. So, you know, you might as well. It's like, you've already made us suffer enough. Just get the extra year. Then if that's really what you were all uh, grabbing about. So if you go and have Eloy Jimenez on this opening day roster at this point in time, that's such a bad move. It's such yep. a bad move. And, and the sad part about this is the really sad part about all of this is in a few years, you're going to hit a crossroads where you've got to re-sign some of these guys Moncada, Jimenez, Kopech, all these guys. And what are they going to do when these guys don't resign? What are they going to do in these free agent negotiations when 
they've missed out on free agent opportunities like they have this offseason and then have to go re-sign some of these guys. I mean, it, God forbid Eloy Jimenez is an absolute monster, stud. Are we going to be sitting here talking about how Eloy Jimenez is uh, – leaving the White Sox in, in, in free agency and the Sox never converted during the Eloy Jimenez era? Is that something that any of us want to be talking about? We saw this tweet come out the other day. I posted it in the Shy Sox Weekly group chat. And you go back and you look at the Marlins outfield. Do you remember that one? Mm-hmm. And you're like, God damn, how did they not win with that outfield. You had Stanton, you had Yellick. Ozuna. Ozuna as well. Look at what we have coming. Robert, Jimenez, insert Blake Rus- Rutherford. Basabi, uh, if he ever gets healthy. <laughs> no. Yeah, guy broke his hand today. I mean, let's add let's add a little bit of insult to injury. Uh, you could throw Adolfo in there. Hell, you could throw Polka in there if he continues to hit, but I think he's more of a DH. Imagine the the tweets 10 years from now when you look at some of the talent that came through the White Sox organization, and just for a second, think about what the ramifications are if you don't convert during this window. And I think that that's what we have to go back to, is that the window is open now. The window opened this year. And you're burning this year in the window. Granted, Michael Kopech's not with us. But if you add Manny Machado, if you add a few other players during this free agency that we've missed on already, I mean, you could have gone and signed McCutcheon. You could have gone and signed DJ LeMahieu. You could have gone and signed... Michael Brantley. Michael Brantley. Shy Sox John to reference right there. Sorry, John. Um... You could have gone and signed any of these guys to go make your team better. On pretty much all these deals, I think we've all come to a consensus. They didn't spend, none of these teams spent that much money on these guys. Rick Hahn apparently had $250 million to go spend over the course of seven years. When you come down to the AAV, you've you had the opportunity to go get these guys instead of going and play, paying Yonder Alonso and John Jay. You could have made this team a lot better. You could have gotten this team into the playoffs this year. You could have given some of these guys two, three-year deals where you can go and then reload and still have enough money to go sign a top-tier free agent next offseason. I don't understand the kick the ball down the road this year doesn't matter attitude. The Sox fan base is hungry for a playoff team. Hungrier than they've ever been. And there's no excuse for punting on a team that has some of these guys like Yon Mancata, like Jose Abreu, like Tim Anderson who can play essential roles on a team that's good. There's just no excuse. Because what we're going to end up with is the 2012 through 2016 White Sox all over again. It just has the writing on the wall if something doesn't change. Yep. I agree. It's uh, that tweet that I'm still kind of 
you know, it's stuck in my mind. The Stanton, Yelich, Ozuna outfield of the Marlins. And what did I say, Tony, when I responded? I said, well, they didn't have shit around them to help. Yeah. And whoa. Now, that that was that was last uh, maybe Saturday when we were talking about that. And now that it's come to, you know, this point and it gets to this realization that it's not just about the one player. That's that's what we want to key in. It's not that Manny Machado, you know, not getting Manny Machado means that um, they, they won't, you know, add additional pieces around these guys in the future. I'm not saying that. It doesn't mean it. But like you had said, the writing is on the walls where you get that kind of eerie sense of it very well could. It, it very well could. They didn't capitalize on that with a great load of players there. Abreu when he was even younger and still tearing it up. Eaton, you had Quintana, Sale. So, you know, your rotation had at least two bona fide studs, whereas now we can only look at one, and that's Carlos Rodon if he stays healthy um, and consistent. <laughs> that's another issue that's been with him, a number three draft pick. Um, so, I mean, I could go down a rabbit hole on any of these things that could go wrong here, but it really is a major fear that they could not surround this group of prospects that could pan out with enough talent. The front office just doesn't have the mindset to do it. They haven't made the savvy moves to um, whatever, whatever it may be. Um, you know, they're not willing to like you circle back again. You know, we've been doing plenty of circling back, but I'll do it again. Han is afraid to trade one of these top prospects. The fear that they'll, you know, pan out and we'll get a James Shields back because, you know, oh, I don't want to, you know, be labeled, you know, by myself a jackass again for making this move. But then it costs you a, a window of contention. I mean, it's scary. It is a scary situation right now. No, it, it really is, Johnny. And And one of the things also that we need to realize here is that Some of these other prospects are also a few years away. You know, you talk about Robert, you talk about Nick Madrigal, and they can also really screw themselves by forcing some of these guys up, a la Gordon Beckham. Mm-hmm. And what I don't want to see is that happen. Now, signing guys like John Jay and bringing in yonder Alonzo's prevents some of that. So that's good in that regard. But there's also a chance here that the White Sox organization goes and overreacts and tries to appease the fan base. And that's another scary thing. You know, I don't want to open up another rabbit hole here, but you move Moncada over to third, and we talked a little bit about it before, they kind of played it off as, oh, well, Yomer Sanchez plays a better second base. There's no doubt in my mind that Rick Hahn's sitting there going, well, if I just go and insert Madrigal fan favorite, um, we're going to go put some more butts in some seats and, and try and you know do some damage control on this. And all of a sudden we're seeing a not-ready Nick Madrigal sometime in June. That's not the answer here. It's, it, you know... I'd like to refute that really quick before you go on. Um, can I dispel if if this ever somehow gets to anyone within the organization? 
Nick Madrigal is a fan favorite of a few vocal, uh, you know, champions of yeah. him. I'm not you're I'm not sold. You're not sold. We've had this discussion both personally over lunch. We've had a dis- discussion in our group chat. We've had a discussion on this podcast. <laughs> I, d- I don't see it. I don't see it at all. He's a little guy. He that, not saying that uh, you know uh, Jose Altuve can't you know make a name for himself, but the power is not there. It's not the same uh, you know tools I'd already mentioned earlier. I could you know beat a dead horse with this. Uh, I, I just want to dispel that, that no, Nick Madrigal should not even be expected to be up this year. That, that That's where I want to draw a line in the sand there. Just uh, it, it maybe, you know, feel free to disagree with me. You, you can have any, you know, outlook you want on these prospects. That's uh, Everyone's entitled to their own opinion. I'm not saying that, but I'm, I'll oh, give yeah, you that's, mine. That's, and I'll, I'll give you it sternly. That's and, something and, that I think that we've been very, very vocal about is that everybody is entitled to their own opinion on on some of this stuff. Um, I know I said go take a hike if if you think that Manny Machado isn't the isn't better for the White Sox than not. You're entitled to that opinion. I, I appreciate that, but um, it, it's really hard for me in the seat that I'm sitting in right now to think otherwise. And and I am in complete agreement with you, Johnny, that there is. It's really hard for me in my seat right now to sit there and think that that's the answer to any of this. I'm just I, I think that I am very bitter about the fact that this team had an opportunity to in my opinion do something this year next year and by missing on this free agent class I think that you've kicked the ball down the road to probably 2022 instead of maybe 2021 as a competitive year because if you're really waiting for these prospects to pan out like you like you say that they're going to um not you Johnny but but the the White Sox organization if you're really waiting for that to happen you're already at the end of your your Moncada deal you're already nearing the end of Rodon you're already you you probably don't have Jose Abreu you've got to insert something at first base you're starting to open up some holes that also need to be filled and it it just seems like this ball is just going to get continuously kicked down the road I know you have a number three draft pick this year but I mean when do we expect that guy to come in and compete when, when, when's like, the last time a White Sox draft pick has ever panned out? I know it, we're still waiting on Collins, but exactly. Rodon, okay. Rodon, I guess you can still say, is up in the air. But other than that, it's Chris Sale. That's the last time. And that wasn't even like a, you know, a, a major, like, sort of like, oh, this guy is going to be like the next best thing since sliced bread. When he came up, it, it was more of a, you know, development, and he's just got a freakish athletic body where he can sling the ball across his, you know, uh, three quarters across his body, a hundred miles an hour. And with a slider that, you know, hits guys in the ankles after they swing at it. Well, that's the thing. <laughs> there's no, there's no that. quick answers here through the draft and the Sox haven't drafted well enough for anybody to have any confidence in the fact that the draft is going to be the answer here. You're not going to get Mike Trout out of next year's draft. You're not going to get a Bryce Harper out of next year's draft. You're not going to get that 19-year-old talent who's going to come step in and be a difference maker. Your one chance at a difference maker on this roster, I think we touched on it, is Eloy Jimenez. 
That's your one chance at a difference maker. And you thought it was going to be Yon Moncada. You thought it was going to be Michael Kopech. You thought it was going to be uh, Lu- uh, Lucas Giolito. You thought that Reynaldo Lopez could potentially be something like that. You thought that Carson Fulmer was going to be a starter in this rotation a few years back. You, th- I mean, there's a lot of you thoughts there. You thought that some of these guys were going to pan out. So far, nothing's really worked. We talk a lot about track records today. We talk about the track record that the front office has had. Now we let, let, we'll talk about the, the track record that the, the scouting team has had in the draft. We'll talk about the player development track record. None of these track records, Johnny, leave me anywhere near confident that, that this is going to pan out. And, I mean, this has been a very down on the on the White Sox podcast so far. This has been a very, you know, Debbie Downer episode, I guess is the way to put it. But when we look at big picture here, Johnny, I, I really don't see much positive. And it's up to the White Sox organization to come and prove us wrong at this point in time. They need to show us that these guys are the are the guys that are going to pan out. They need to show us that they can actually go and sign a free agent that's going to be a difference maker. I think one of the things that was out there today, I don't know who said it, but it did come across my timeline, was that signing a Manny Machado would have taken some of the spotlight off of some of these guys and allowed Absolutely. you know, Yon Mancada and Eloy Jimenez to develop. There comes my word again. It's an X factor. Yep. It's just lacking. It, yeah, it, it is lacking on this team. Um, <laughs> you you said it. It's a it, it is a downer episode. Um, but there there really is. You know, you can't go off of a track record. What, what do we have to show for that? Um, you know, the this rebuild started twenty and you know end of the twenty sixteen season. By trading off those guys, and sure, the prospect accumulation was uh, exciting at first, but then when you see, like, you know, those guys, you're going, Moncada's not an X Factor yet. And don't get me wrong, I am not writing off these guys. I'm not saying they cannot be contributing pieces or very good baseball players. I still think Yohan Moncada has a world of potential. But there is something that would help them along. It would be a, you know, fairly young still. Manny Machado is only 26, right? Is that right? Yep, 26. Yeah, so it would be a fairly young player that already has a proven track record of being very good in this league, very good playing at the highest level. And it would it would have just helped so much. It would, it would have helped so much from whatever you can from the personnel on the field, obviously just the war itself. You're already gaining what? 3.5 wins with Manny Machado in the lineup. Okay. So, so there's that, that physical, if you, you're stat guy, you want to attack that. Sure. There's that you want to attack the mentality type. 
it takes the pressure off or relieves that, like you had said, um, off of some of these prospects. So they don't have to be the guy like, you know, I'm, it's great that everyone was excited for you on my and Michael Kopech and everybody, you know, crowd got, you know, nice and riled up for each of their debuts and all that. It's going to be the same way for Eloy coming up. But if there's another guy that is already established within that lineup, then maybe, you know, they'll appreciate the uh, sentiment from the fans that they're, you know, they're finally here. They made it to the show, but they don't feel like they have to, you know, produce at the highest level immediately. Nobody's coming in being a Mike Trout or a Bryce Harper. Those are very, very, very few. Um, And and I, I just hope that's realized by the fan base that, the, these prospects, sure, I'm not giving up on, you know, there's very few that I could actually give up on. Um, but I also, at the same time, don't think they're going to be the uh, the end-all, be-all of this roster in, in the final stages of it when you're finally actually competing for a championship, for a division title, for playoff wins, for a World Series. Obviously, the ultimate goal, winning, so there needs to be more. There needs to be more, and this is the perfect chance to add more. And they blew it. <laughs> they blew it plain and simple because, you you know, we didn't even get to Bryce Harper yet. You know, people talk about, oh, well, what are the Sox going to make a big push at Bryce Harper? Well, if they weren't able to go over $300 million guaranteed for uh, Manny Machado, no fucking way Bryce Harper would even consider it. No Wasn't way. he asking for 400 at the beginning of this? Weren't people projecting him to potentially land a four hundred million dollar deal? I think, that, I think that was pro, I think those projections. I don't. I don't think that was actually okay. So let's let's Harper set the camp, let's set the bar still. at Harper. Let's set the bar for Harper at three twenty five, three fifty. How are you going to go and compete with that? I mean, they sat there and they said that not, oh, Bryce Harper was just not. I'll, I'll answer it for you right now. You're just not. No, you're not. I I agree with that. You're not. Um. It would be awesome if the White Sox organization did do that and learn from their mistakes. And that's that's the thing that we need to get to is the fact that the Sox need to learn from their mistakes. They need to learn from what they've done wrong. They need to learn that this was not good enough. And are they going to? No, because what, what did you see today? All oh, this stings. This burns. We thought we had the best offer on the table. Uh, we're shocked by the fact that uh, you know we took the other uh, other offer because we thought that our offer would have been better um, you know viewed in his eyes because he had the chance to make more money coming here and all that no no for all the reasons that we laid out earlier it wasn't the guaranteed money talks you know money talks Johnny money money talks, talks. and there has been no indication that the Sox want to show that they're they're serious players when it comes to the money and it all goes back to the front office it all goes back to Jerry Reinsdorf it all goes back to this I haven't been very vocal about um you know the the Jerry's cheap um aspect of all of this but you have to take that into consideration here when you look at that offer that was presented to Manny Machado today and you can rip it apart if you want to, but that was a cheap offer. 
it was a cheap offer when it comes to the fact that you did not guarantee him what he wanted. And you see how fast he accepted the offer today from the Padres when they guaranteed him the money. This could have been done in December if Jerry had opened the pocketbooks and said, $300 million guaranteed. This would be done and over with. My whole winter could have been completely different than waking up every damn morning, checking Twitter to see if there was anything that happened overnight. This winter could have been different because I probably would have gotten more sleep instead of staying up late at night searching for Ken Rosenthal tweets about Manny Machado, digging Reddit to see what's going on. All of these fake rumors that have come out from people on Twitter that have led me to believe that there's a chance. You know, you start to drive yourself a little bit crazy. This could have been a completely different winter. And all it would have taken, apparently, was something that the White Sox were willing to offer just not guaranteed and that's I think the most disappointing part to this whole entire thing is that we as White Sox fans got strung along for months on end with this false hope that they would at least circle back and match the offer that 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 somebody else would but the second that Machado's camp was offered the guaranteed money they accepted the deal and that to me says that they didn't even have the respect for the White Sox organization to come back and say, we have $300 million guaranteed. Do you want a match? You know, people ask on Twitter today, why didn't they circle back to the White Sox and give them the chance? Why the hell would they, after stringing the Machado camp along all offseason with this lowball offer? I have no doubt in my mind that the original offer was probably 175 just because of the way that today's events unfolded, that they were trying to get in on a deal with Manny Machado just hoping that nobody else offered more money. And that's sad to me. It's really fucking sad. So they they really never had a seat at the table. I know that's a platitude that Rakan likes to uh, tout. So they never really had a seat at the table. Uh, Rickon was just on his knees begging at the end of the table. You think that's accurate? I think that's absolutely accurate. I don't think that. Uh, I think that they were probably the only offer out there, the only solid offer. And all it really took was it to get to this point for somebody to offer him the bare minimum of what he was asking. Um, you know, you come in at three hundred million. I look at this as kind of uh, a weird market because nothing really developed until now. Um, that bar was set at $300 million, like we said, long before uh, the offseason even, had even begun. And like I said in that, in that car dealership metaphor, you come in at that offer and it's, it, it, when you have multiple buyers, even like let's look at this as, as a real estate transaction, Johnny. Um, here's a house for sale for $200,000. You've got multiple buyers. Who are you going to take? The highest offer. You're not going to take the offer that says, well, if your house passes inspection, I'm going to give you $205,000 and you know, blah, blah, blah. You're going to take the offer that says, I'm giving you two ten, and I don't care what the inspection says. So in, in that regard, I would even put the White Sox at the point where they probably offered like 175 
and had all sorts of contingencies. You can't go in there and sit there and say that your offer was stronger than anybody else because it just wasn't. It just was not strong enough at the end of the day. And I know that they want to applaud themselves for for being at the table, but like you said, they were they were merely in my opinion hoping that nobody else offered more. They were just hoping that nobody else offered anywhere more, anywhere even a smidge more than what they were offering and thought that they were going to walk away with a steal. And and that just doesn't work. It it, it doesn't work. It's sad. It's it looks bad bad on the organization and there's really no no other way around that. If you're trying to lowball one of these massive free agents, the big fish as we like to call them, that's what they were referred to as all off season. If you're trying to lowball these guys, what do you think all right, imagine imagine this this free agency this year was a year off. Say that was next year. And say it was flip-flop. Say like a Chris Sale and a Nolan Arnato is available. Nolan Arnato is a little bit older than both of those guys. Uh, Chris Sale is a pitcher, so, you know, the everyday factor doesn't go into it. So you offer, you know, less than with this. Imagine how low that would have been if they're employing those same tactics that they used on Machado's camp. Can you even imagine? No, no, no. And I don't even want to think about it. I don't even want to. I don't even want to. At this point. You know, you start to talk about how how involved they were in some of these rumors, and at that point, I don't even think their name gets mentioned in national media as being somebody who's interested, because you damn well know that other teams were interested in this. It wasn't just the Padres, Phillies, White Sox, Yankees, somewhat. You know that other people would have come to the table for some of these offers. For Machado, and you know the same thing is going on with Bryce Harper right now. You talk about the mystery team. Um, let's go back a little bit to December when you talk about oh, there's a mystery team involved in Machado when it was just the Yankees, White Sox, and Phillies who were involved on Machado. Hey, guess what? That whole mystery team thing that everybody wanted to dispel actually came to fruition. And guess what? He signed with the mystery team in the San Diego Padres. That's embarrassing. Not only for the White Sox, but probably the Phillies and, and, and the Yankees in some regard. But the difference between the New York Yankees and the White Sox in this situation, and even the Phillies, is that both of those other clubs made signings during these periods to not only do damage control, but make their ball club better. You look at what Philadelphia added this offseason in Andrew McCutcheon. They added Segura via trade. Um, real Muto. The, the Real Muto deal. Um, significantly better ball club than than what they were uh, entering the offseason. You go and you look at the Yankees. They had David LeMahieu, Robertson. They had LeMahieu. They had Robertson. Um, uh, you, you, you talk about some of this stuff, and uh, they were making deals to make their ball club better. They were making deals that are going to make their ball club win. What were the White Sox doing? during this time absolutely nothing besides column a who is a slight upgrade um to an already depleted bullpen um that's a safe face move there if if, if you really want to get down to it um herrera that's a uh high risk high reward 
type deal that uh, Rick Hahn's been known to do in, in the bullpen. Um, you look at some of the, the the track record there. We talk about track records. Um, that's a that's a Rick Hahn deal. That's a Rick Hahn special. Um, you add uh, McCann. That that there is another uh, block, another young guy from coming up type deal, and then you add Alonzo. There's another block some player move. Uh, they've done nothing to really get better. You add Nova, who's basically James Shields 2.0, not really going to help your ball club. They've made no improvements. They were banking on the fact that they were going to get a deal on top end talent. That to me is just so disappointing. The organization has not taken any steps forward. They have not done anything to show faith in what they have. It's almost as if they don't believe in what they have on the field right now can be a competitive roster. And if I'm a player on the White Sox right now, that's disturbing to me as well. I'm sorry to say those words. It it hurts to say that, but it, it it's true. They haven't invested anything that's worthwhile that's going to make the team better. Yep, I don't want to completely detract from that, but I do want to walk back a little bit because um, uh, I am a little bit of a believer in that bullpen, and I really like the column A for uh, Narvaez trade. You traded, you know, you missed out on uh, trading Avi Garcia at his highest value. You finally get to trade a guy like Omar Narvaez, one of the worst defensive catchers in the game, just finally caught fire offensively. Um, so I, I can uh, live with that. I do like Calame at the back of the bullpen. But other than that, Tony, like I said, I don't want to detract from it because other than that, I really do. Uh, the, I really think that, you know, no real major improvements have been made. That <laughs> that when at the end of the day, when you look at the roster, it's a mess, first of all, for playing time, for, uh, you know, platooning, whatever you want to call it. Um, it it's an absolute mess there. And then it overall hasn't gotten that much better it's slightly it's very slightly but no no major improvements no I I, I I agree that's that's exactly what I said there uh, let's take a quick word from our sponsor here and then we're going to close out this uh, this episode of shy Sox weekly uh, I know we're, we're getting close to an hour and a half here so let's take a quick word from our sponsor we'll come back close this out and uh, uh, kind of wrap up our thoughts here on on what the what the day brought us and um yeah just close it out johnny all right let's uh let's go to break all right so we're back here on shy Sox weekly episode 30 uh milestone episode for us i know we haven't really touched on that um john suarez not with us tonight um unfortunately he had to, he had to work this was a short notice episode like we said before um we'll get his reaction on all of this on our next episode, uh, probably sometime next week. Uh, we're going to close it out here on Shy Sox Weekly. Um, just kind of recapping, uh, this has been a pretty down episode. We're, we're a little bit down on the rebuild, Johnny, um, with, with pretty good reason here. Um, any closing thoughts that we have for, for this week? We're already down, so I'm just going to kick us while we're down. Um, there was a topic that I wanted to get to at the bottom of our topic sheet here uh, that we, I think we briefly touched on in passing um, when talking about the rebuild, but that was in the heat of thoughts. So 
also along with that news when uh you know han was addressing the um, machado to san diego deal Luis Basabi also announced in there that Luis Basabi is out four to six weeks with a broken bone in his left hand. So there's another outfield prospect that everyone was hopeful for. Um, he's out four to six weeks. That sets the development back. Um, you know, you were hoping that I I don't know exactly if he would have been one of those prime suspects for a uh, late July, August, September recall whenever you wanted to. But it, it just it, it really is just another massive dose of salt in the wound, Tony. It, it really just he's a really talented kid. And you want to see some return on this uh, Boston deal, you know, when we trade Chris Sale. And, you know, you thought maybe this could be a glimmer of hope, one that you didn't really think because Moncada and Kopech were the headlines of it. And now he's injured. And that doesn't, I know it's not putting him out for the whole year. I mean, I know it's a, we're all kind of in this mindset that we're all down and uh, out right now. But I know there's still the chance for that. But you saw Luis uh, Robert getting injured early on last season. What that did to his season basically set him back all another year. Yeah, I'm getting a little bit sick of this injury bug that seems to plague the rebuild. You've seen it with Berger. You've seen it with Robert. Now you've seen it with Basabe. You've seen it with Dane Dunning. Um, some of these big names that come back in some of these trades have have been plagued by the injury bug. And this was kind of like that little second slap in the face. Um, today probably would have been a bad day just to announce that Basabe had an injury. Um, but coupled with the other news, I mean, it, it, it kind of gets buried. Um, development time for these guys is super important. It's super important. It's very important for these guys to get at-bats, especially in spring training. Um, and I think that's what's most detrimental here is the fact that in spring training, you can put this guy up against some major league talent and kind of gauge where he's at. Um, you don't really have the chance to do that during the year. He's facing minor league, minor league pitching outside of uh, anybody on a rehab stint. Um, I don't know, like you said, if he was kind of a target for, for a July call-up just based on the fact that uh, the White Sox outfield, like we talked about earlier, is so damn crowded that you probably would not be able to even fit him in there, you know, barring any deals or some of these guys getting DFA'd and moved off. But... It, it's no good nonetheless because you know spring training like I said was was your was your baseline for this guy where where's he gonna end up how does he fare against some of these um you know higher level pitchers you know how does his defense play in a, in a major league style game not that everybody's a major leaguer in some of these spring training games but I mean this is important time of year um You've seen the lost development now in multiple pieces during this rebuild. And again, it just goes back to the fact that you can't rely on all of these prospects to pan out. A big one that I missed in there was Michael Kopech. You know, a whole year of development off of Michael Kopech while we're burning an actual year of his of his contract, not good. Um, they just haven't been lucky. Not all. great, Bob. No, not great, Bob is is a, is a great way to put it. They have not been lucky. And 
you need a little bit of luck on your side for some of this stuff to pan out. Um, I think that's a really good way to kind of to kind of end this is the fact that the Sox haven't been lucky. They haven't had any luck on their side when it comes to anything that's had to do with this rebuild so far. I mean, nobody's come up and, and just absolutely torn the cover off the ball. Nobody's come up and been a dominant pitcher. They've been plagued with injuries. Um, if you want to put the luck spin on the whole Machado thing, they didn't get lucky enough for somebody to not offer him what he wanted and us to walk away with a steal. Um, and when you're relying on luck, man, it's just not good. Um, the Sox need to get off the slot machine and start putting their money on something that's a sure bet. And I just don't see them getting off of the slot machine, and the slot machine is just so cold right now. You brought it, you brought it back in perfectly there, Tony. Um, I was going to say we could make that come full circle. Um, you know, one way to play against that and, you know, not be banking on luck would be to sign a sure talent. And they didn't. They let it slip away from a team that came in and swiped it out from under them. It would be different. It, we didn't really address this at all. I think it would be different. The reaction, we would still be upset. Don't get me wrong. We'd still be upset if we didn't land this guy if he went to one of these East Coast teams. But if he went to New York, that was his preferred destination. Like if, say, it was those same offers were on the table, the same one that the White Sox offered, but say that was from the Yankees, and choosing between the 300 guaranteed for the Padres you would say, okay, he went to where his preferred destination was. If he went to the Phillies, who probably would have paid more than the Padres actually did in guaranteed money because they had stupid money to spend, and I actually believe them when they say that because their front office doesn't seem like... uh, Put their money where their mouth is. Yeah, exactly. They have. So i would have been like okay yes sure that sucks i really wish we would have gotten him i'd be upset i'd be angry but i also would accept it more than this team this mystery team that tony had brought up earlier coming and literally sliding the rug out right from underneath your feet yeah and and the the real stinger here johnny is the fact that when the padres started to become involved in some of these talks and I don't think either of us have brought this up, was the fact that all the reports said that Manny Machado didn't want to play on the West Coast. Well, guess where Manny Machado's playing now? The West Coast. And then why is that? Guaranteed money. Money talks. I think that's going to do it for us. Um, We could probably lament on this for about like three more hours of just straight talk about how bad this is for the organization, how sucky this day is, how bad it feels right now. Um, I'm going to try and get some sleep tonight. Um, If there's any silver lining in any of this, Johnny, it's the fact that I think this is somewhat over for, for, for us. Now this off season has come to an end. Um, This was very tiring. I know for me personally, Um, just, the pure exhaustion that I have from waiting for the day that I got to see Manny Machado sign. Um, again, hoping that it would have been the White Sox. It's it's over now. Um, it's happened. It stings. It hurts. It burns. Um, kind of lost for words. There's a lot stronger 
words that I can put to this, but I don't really want to um, just because it, it just wouldn't be good. But I, I think that I can kind of get a good night's sleep maybe tomorrow and not have to worry about what's going to happen next because the worst possible scenario has happened and it's done. So I've got... Go I've ahead. got one I've got one thought to leave with White Sox fans. You heal outside wounds with neosporin and bandages, you heal inside wounds with alcohol. That's a great way to put it. That's an absolutely great way to put it. Johnny, um you and I met for lunch today. We started early. Uh the healing process has has long begun here. Um we'll keep cracking them all year long. Um, yep. And that's the best way to heal it. So, um, it's really hard to say it, but, uh, let's go White Sox. Let's go Sox. And for that, that's Shy Sox Weekly episode 30, guys. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, we'll be back rather soon with the full crew. Get John Suarez back in here. We'll talk some spring training, uh, get his thoughts on, on the Machado stuff as well. Uh, have a good night, guys. Just my fault. You got what you need.